welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got Dave Hilda Pryor. Paul Thorpe. Steve Rutter. Ricky Hyatt and Tom Bailey. So it's a new year, and let's see if the boys have got any new ideas about the football scene. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. It's podcast number one of 2024, and my guests this evening are as follows. It's Mr. Paul Thorpe. How are you doing, Paul? We'll start with you. Fantastic. Happy New Year to everyone. And we're all excited about the world darts and Mr. Littler. So that's what is the podcast it's... about, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed it is. Why not? It's the Why Christmas not? period, so anything yet. goes. Anything goes. <laughs> Mr. Steve Rutter joins us this evening for the first one of the new year. How are you doing, Steve? Yeah, I'm I'm good, thank you. I, I gotta agree with Thorpey. I think that Luke Littler has not only been practicing throwing darts, but also getting his body into the perfect shape to be a darts player, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I think that somewhere there's a 45-year-old man walking around with Luke Littler's face. Because <laughs> uh, he doesn't look 16, does he? No. What a player, though. What a, what a player. At the, t- at the time of recording on the 1st of January, he played earlier on today, and it was, wasn't really close, was it, Rick? Did, well, I'll start with you, Rick. Yeah, no, 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 no not at all. And uh, he's got Rob Cross in the next round, and... Mm. That'd be what in- game that was, by the way? That was just outstanding. Outstanding. That's, uh, yeah, the way Chris Doby was playing throughout that. But gave, gave Cross his, a sniff and he was in. And so, yeah, that's set up. That's going to be a good, a very good semi-final. We've actually got time to talk about this because Yeovil Taunton was obviously postponed. So <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to bring you in because obviously you were at Ali Pally a couple of days ago. Do you just want to talk us through your experience? Do you remember any of it? Well, me... Yeah, you, you're oh, a yeah, Ali Pally, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely remember. Do you remember? Does <laughs> that tell me as, what all I need yes, to know? Listen, being dressed up as Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, it was uh, very exciting and uh, we uh, we got a chance to see Luke Litter. It was really, really exciting and uh, almost like felt felt like you were sitting there in front of history itself, like really. So, in a way, you could actually say you saw him in his very first World Championship and, you know, if he carries on playing like he is, it's going to take a very special person to beat him and um uh, you know like, like steve said he's he's definitely got himself in a good shape to be a, a darts player but ultimately he's a sportsman and he's got his trade absolutely nailed at the moment and you almost wonder where he can actually take it to 
or where it might fall down. You know, I mean, like there's all been talk about the press leaving him alone, um, just let him get on and play darts. But um, very, very exciting. I recommend anybody to go to that event. Um, it's, it's 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 a real, really good, exciting event, and they can make it even bigger. It's only three thousand people in the auditorium, and and they, I'm sure they can make it a lot bigger and take it up to five thousand. Thorpey, yeah. when you were there, did you get pestered? Um, no, she left me alone, actually. No, I was just thinking, if the, you go out and you're dressed as the Pirates of the Caribbean, how many yeah. people are thinking that Johnny Depp had walked in when actually... A six-foot-two Johnny Depp, but that'll be a new one. He's got. He's obviously been wearing his, uh, his high heels for that one, but... Because uh, that's was the only difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fame of fortune just takes care of itself, really. Like, um... Yeah. <laughs> I thought, Rick, I thought you were going down the um, Van Gerwen angle for a second. <laughs> oh, you swine. <laughs> oh. That's, that's bullying, that is. Hey, Thorpey, you're, you're much, my lawyer. You're much you more chiselled and handsome, Thorpey. Don't you worry about that. Thank sir. you very much. Oh, he's good at bullying my Thorpey. I've had, I've had to put up with him and bloody Scott McTomblay for the last two weeks. And <laughs> you joined in, actually. Don't you start on bullying. <laughs> so Steve, I'll throw it to you. Um that's um Taunton Yeovil covered then. <laughs> yeah, 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 great game. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, can't wait for the next one. Yeah, uh, um, it's a shame, isn't it? Because everyone it is looks a shame, forward to it. It, it looked yeah, like it, it was and, inevitable, uh, wasn't it? That it wasn't yeah. going ahead. And and you know, everybody knows you put so much work into games like that, don't you? Because all games take a lot of organising, but these particularly with the local derby, the bigger crowds, all that sort of stuff. That they made loads of special preparations, loads of special adjustments with the police and all that sort of stuff. And then it just gets called off at the last minute, you know. But I see they've rescheduled it for the ninth, haven't they? Yes. For the ninth of June. So, so they have. Uh, yeah, rescheduled but... for the ninth of June. They played Bath and then Taunton away. So Bath at home and then Taunton away on the ninth. So it's been rescheduled quite quickly. Yeah. I guess the only issue is with them rescheduling it so quickly, it's good that they've done that and they've um managed to get a date in so quickly, as you say. But Thorpey Taunton had a game or two postponed only a couple of weeks prior to the one that they were supposed to play um, this weekend. So rescheduling it only for next week, I mean, there's a high chance we might be having to reschedule it again, possibly, I would imagine. Yeah, just whether I'm, I'm worried about the weather, really, like for that that, that reason alone. But um, yeah, certainly if, if they need to get all their games in. It's a difficult one, eh? because they never used to like have too many problems with their, their pitch but they, over the last... The weather's been a lot worse over the last few years, and um, it seems to have taken its toll on on their pitch. And um, um, I, some, I sometimes wonder whether it would be actually good where the, the club is so positioned is whether they actually would sell the ground and then and then move somewhere else because there's good there's good uh, development land around there off uh, certainly off the M5 that they could actually do an all singing all dancing little stadium with with good drainage so they don't have these problems in the in the future. Because they certainly would get certainly enough money from a housing development or something else in that position to uh, um, to be able to, to sorry to afford to build a new stadium. The timing, Rick, as well of the cancellation, with it being the New Year's Eve game, you've obviously got lots of people down for Christmas and stuff, extending family members who might possibly have been able to have taking a game won't be able to take in a game now because of the rearranged fixtures so it might also affect the attendance as well because if the you know the reverse game was anything to go by on boxing day it would have been a 
you know, a sellout again on, um, well, when it was supposed to be on the 31st. Yeah, but if it was a sellout, you'd think for any return tickets, they shouldn't have too much too much of a problem reselling them. But is, is the weather going to improve that much? It's lovely that they've rearranged it that quickly. But, I mean, if it's uh, the pitch is waterlogged to that extent, are we going to get a break in the weather long enough for it to become playable in that period? Because it's been absolutely hosing it down today. And there's more forecasts. So let's just hope they can get it on. I mean, the capacity, they, it's a big big game for them, obviously, because what mighty year we're going yeah. down there. But you know, their, their stadium capacity is 2,500. So, uh, you know, that, that's that's really decent money for them if they could get anywhere close to that. So uh, it is really important for these small clubs, especially with the financial situation of the football club at the top this moment in time, it not being the greatest. You know, they need every, every sort of cent they can get. I guess ultimately as well, Steve, as frustrating it is from a fan's perspective, but if there's any, you know, ounce of um, player safety being in danger or anything like that, then they obviously have to make this decision. Yeah, I mean, the reality is if the pitch isn't playable, you know, it's not playable. Um, who wants to, you know, you don't want two and a half thousand people there watching a farce when your ball's not rolling, it's not bouncing, you know, it, it, it just becomes a lottery and like you say, it's dangerous. So, if, if it's unplayable, it's unplayable. The good thing from Yeovil's point of view, it's not like it's made stone away and it's been rearranged from a week, you know, from a Saturday to a Tuesday night or something. It's 20 minutes down the road. So it's not really going to have a massive impact on, on Yeovil. They, the cancellation would have allowed them to go in and train because they, they weren't on the road staying in a hotel or anything overnight. So it wouldn't have had too much of a, a disruption for Yeovil, I wouldn't have thought. Um, and as you say, as long as the weather perks up a little bit and they get the game on, I agree with Rick. They'll, they'll sell out if it's two and a half thousand capacity. They'll sell out. Any returns will go quickly, uh, and it'll, it should be a perfect night. Before we move on from it, Thorpe, I'll throw it to you. Have you ever been involved in any games where the games have kicked off and you're thinking ten minutes in, this probably shouldn't be going ahead here, or either the other way round, where it has, well, gone, has gone ahead and you're thinking, hmm, not sure about absolutely. this. Absolutely, we had uh, Steve and I had a classic when we were at Taunton, uh, sorry, at Trowbridge Town. Where we went up to see who did we play, Steve? In the quarterfinals of the the uh, FA Trophy, we had three games against them. Oh, Christian you, McLean you know, was about, up front. You, yes, Sudbury Town. Four we played Sud four times. Four Sudbury times. Town. And when we got up to there, Steve, what was it like? I mean, you could probably foot, put your foot down a good ten inches in the middle, eight, eight ten mm. inches, we reckon. And we yeah. eventually oh, I mean, lost, yeah. was it not something like 4-3 after extra time we lost? 4-3 yeah, after extra time. But but to be fair, in those days, I mean, the older ones amongst us can remember Hugh Johns commentating from the baseball ground at yeah. Derby County in the top yeah. division. And and the pitch looked like the Battle of the Somme, didn't it? There was no grass on it. It was just mud no. and water. Um, so in those days, pitches were declared safe, you know, to a standard that today they wouldn't even look at it, would they? No. So that that has improved massively. So nowadays, if they call them off, it's usually a real problem and they call it off because there's a genuine problem. But in those days, I mean, you just got along with it, didn't you? Lace your boots yeah. on and off you went. Yeah, yeah. One of the most tiring experiences of my life, that was. <laughs> I got sent off. I got I got sent off at the end of extra, just before the end of extra time for fouling Christian McLean, if you remember. <laughs> well, he needed second... fouling, to be fair. He put that many, that many elbows about. He needed a good yeah. shooting, <laughs> second, second booking, it was. Second book. I remember it well. I've only, only been sent off twice in my life and that was second one. <laughs> um. Rick, in terms of momentum, the word that we use, the word that you use a lot on the pod, does that do anything to disrupt 
Yeovil's momentum at the moment, or if anything, particularly in this period, maybe not having a game might just do the players some good of just having that little bit of respite? I think the fact that Yeovil won the, the game that did go ahead on the Boxing Day game 4-1, that makes hell of a difference. Because if you go and you've lost your last match, it's a different mentality. You want to get back and, and put it right as soon as possible. But having having won the game, the only frustration will be, I suppose, the fact that they didn't get straight out and and get another three points. But say Lavi. I mean, everyone else in the uh, division played today, didn't they? So yeah, we'll have a, 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 a revised league table to be working on when it does come. And two games in quick succession. Get a couple two. Get two wins there, six points added on to that. It's a nice position to be in, I would have thought. Yeah, so as it stands at the moment, Yeovil is still top with 53 points. Hampton and Richmond in second on 46. It's still a there nice cushion at the, the top. Way, They're on so, a hell run. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Though, what I would say to that, though, um, Steve, is every time that Yeovil, not necessarily even when they've dropped points themselves, but there does seem to be a lot of teams in and around that playoff pack that always seem to drop points every single week. So um, there's never normally too much damage done. So long may that continue for a Yeovil perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that just goes to show that a lot of the sides are of a similar level. And teams, you know, even teams in the low mid table are capable of getting results against the, the, the sides in sort of like second, third, fourth, fifth and sixth. I think Yeovil are just on a slightly different level at the moment in terms of the depth of their squad, the quality of their players. Um, and like you, you said about momentum, when you when you're winning games, you know it's, it's easy it's easy to keep winning games. The, the worst thing is sometimes you like Rick said, you win four one at home on Boxing Day, and you play the same team away, and actually they always have an extra edge then to try and come back. If you're massively better than them, then you can avoid you know the banana skin. But if there's not that big a disparity between the two sides, quite often you get a really you know, obscure sort of, you lose 1-4-1, one, one, then you might win the next one 2-0 or something. So probably the over favour in a way because it just takes that out of it and it will be like a one-off again. So we will talk about the Bath City game on our midweek uh, podcast, but Thorpey, just before um, I wrap that up, it will be me and you, if you're still very much available on Saturday for Three Valleys Radio for that one. So uh, oh, still another good will. game to look forward to. No, absolutely. I just go quickly go back to the Taunton game. It's uh, very interesting that they've actually released Lee Lucas, the former Swansea and Motherwell player, which is quite a massive thing. The whether there's been words said after the Oval game and he's now not playing for them, that's interesting because all that experience is something that they need. But they've also brought in a lad called Louis Slough, who's um, uh, from Dorchester, the 22-year-old from who's a left back or centre-half. So there's been some movement on the transfer line already from them. But, um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, It will be um, a pleasure to be with you on that uh, against the Bath game. And it's such a critical game because, you know, out of all the, 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 the big derbies, that's right up there. And uh, they played extremely well. We had to go and watch them up at Bath, uh, up at Bath and uh, they, they consider themselves extremely unlucky not to have got a result there. And it took a little bit of quality, you know, great um, free kick from from um, Cooper and with uh, Lewis, Morgan, Lewis Morgan getting on the end of it. So uh, it took some real class there to get those valuable three points up there. So uh, that's going to be a really, really tough game. Um, probably one of the toughest games of the season, I would say. 
Yeah, so you can look forward to that on Three Valleys Radio. The first game of the new year will be myself and Thorpey on Saturday. And already you've had a little bit of an insight to his research already, getting it in early on the podcast. So that's what we like to see, Thorpey. That's what we like to see. <laughs> it's like a semi-stato. <laughs> Shall we talk Premier League then, gentlemen? Busy fixtures over the Christmas period and over New Year as well. Well, it was Saturday the 30th, where it kicked off on 12.30. So, Steve, we'll go straight to you and your old club, Luton, because it finished 2-3 against Chelsea. Chelsea got themselves into a 3-0 position, but then Luton can possibly find themselves a little bit unlucky that they didn't get something out of the game in the end. What did you make of it? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought Chelsea and Cole Palmer particularly just, you know, he, he looked a class above, didn't he, early on and just glided through. Um, and, at, and at three nights, another one of those, I mean, I'm sure Pochettino will be furious that they just seem to step off it a little bit. Luton offer lots and lots of honest endeavour, real good mentality. But in terms of pure quality, you know, both the goals, balls into the penalty box and they get there and get on the end of them. And, you know, Adebayo's goal as well, just a, a scramble and a tap in and... Yeah, that's the fact they're pushing the top side so close is a testament to the mentality and the spirit within the squad because it is masking a significant lack of real Premier League quality. Um, but they, you know, they're just staying close enough to the rest of the pack to think they might have a chance of of keeping themselves up. And if they can do a bit of business in the transfer market, they won't they won't go for broke because they're not like that. Um, but if they can do a little bit of business and get just a little bit more Premiership quality in, then they, you know, originally we thought they'd all go. We all thought they'd go down. Um, they might just give themselves a fighting chance over the last few weeks of the season. Rick, have you seen enough there in Luton to say that there might be something there to try and keep them keep them up, even if it is spirit alone, as Steve's alluded to? That is that is the main thing they've got going for them, isn't it? Because we were talking the other day about who's going to be the team that gets drawn into it, because that's what they're relying on. It looks like Burnley and Sheffield United are goners. Luton have put themselves into a position, but uh, I thought that Nottingham Forest would would fall into it, but they're clearly one of the best teams in Europe right now. It doesn't look like it's going to be them, so I don't know who it's going to be. They, they are reliant on whatever they do themselves. They are going to be reliant on somebody else, somebody else's form falling off a cliff and, and finding themselves in the mix down there with them, but they, you, you, you can only commend them for the effort they put in to get themselves into that sort of situation where they give themselves a sniff because they, of the three teams that came up, I think pre-season, they were the ones that people were saying, you know, they'd be gone by Christmas. Yeah, and as it turns out, they're the one that looks like they've, uh, they've got the best chance. But it would, be, it would be nice if they could start. Just nice to see different faces in the, in the Premier League for, for more than just the one season. As for Chelsea, Thorpey, what what about their situation? Because that, that's two on the spin now with a win against late win against Palace and the win over Luton. They're they're one of those teams that are, we think okay maybe they'll go on a little bit of run now of a run now and then it they disappoint in their next game. Do you do you see any signs of life here with Potter's side or do you still think that they're a patchy team at best? Well, I don't know what other people think, and it'd be really good one for that question to go to Steve, really. Like, but uh, what I have, I've been sort of looking at is the fact that one, Steve's absolutely right. Carl, the Palmer looks absolutely like um, you know streets ahead of everybody else. 
Gallagher, Conor Gallagher has been really excellent, I think. His, his work rate in there, and he does look a really classy player. And then you've got the old Stormwalk back there who's, who's doing really well, but, you know, he's in silver. But for me, this team is developing, but at a very slow rate. And I think that um, this is the type of team that, that might develop in maybe next season or maybe the season afterwards, because it's such a young squad. Um I mean, Steve will tell you more about the dynamics of it, like. But um, I think they need a bit more guile in in their midfield. I certainly think they need another another striker for sure, um, and also uh, um, just something maybe down the flanks a little bit more for me, because I don't think they're they're pressing as well as they should do. And if they change to maybe a three-five, they could maybe get their wing backs a little bit further forward and 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 control the midfield a little bit more. Again, Steve is far more coachy than I am. I mean, I've got to say, I've been so impressed with um, two older players, and that's in the Luton side. And that's Townsend, who's come in and started developing after he got his match fitness there. But uh, the other one is absolutely, for me, is Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley, yeah. I mean, because Ross Barkley, his, season, his, his career was really going nowhere, really. He was sort of like one of those players he always thought was quite good. He just got into the, into the England squad. Well, I'll tell you now, the form he's showing now, you know, Makes you think, why didn't he leave, um, you know, Chelsea before, you know, and, and re- really sort of like um, go to, to, a, to a working class side, which he's got, you know, and he's really shown some amazing form and scoring goals as well. And I tell you now, Chelsea would love love him in the middle of their midfield, I'm sure. But I One think good it's also... Done, though. I mean, fair play to, to Butler, because he could have, presumably, he could have taken Saudi money. and Absolutely. Played in in front of seventeen people, like the, the mighty Jordan, but instead yeah. of that, he's, he's come and he's played for a less fashionable side, and uh, and he's doing really really well. And you say he's old; he ain't thirty yet, mate. No, oh. no, no, no. I know he just he's like he seems to be around such a, such a long, long time. But yeah. I mean, he, he's certainly hitting some form now, and I think his work rate is actually outstanding. You know, whether whether he's a youngster, he, he just got a little bit, you know. Big for his boots, I don't know what his mentality is like. Again, Steve might know more because he's been around that sort of like Premier League, you know, sort of close to the Premier League with the other players and going around all these clubs. But um, um, that's why it'd be interesting to see his thoughts on it. But um, I certainly think that his form now is really showing some real, um, you know, well, plaudits really from other other teams. And um, he, he's the type of player who could make a massive difference in that Luton. And it's also interesting, and again, another question for Steve is, where does he think that they could really improve? I'm sure they need a striker, possibly another fielder, but also maybe a defender, in my eyes. But again, that's probably one of the things. Steve. How is yours, Steve? A lot yeah. of questions there, Steve. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the first thing is, like I said, you know, they need a little bit more premiership quality. Yeah. And he has had, since he was a youngster, the makings of a premiership player, hasn't he? And wherever he's gone. The only time he had a really, really bad spell was when he went to Chelsea, ironically. Yeah. And because you just get lost amongst the weight of numbers of people there. You know, and you look at them now, Chelsea, and you say they'd be a good squad in maybe a year or, or you know, 18 months' time. But A, it won't be this squad of players because if they don't start winning some games, Pochettino won't be there anyway. And the next manager will want a whole raft of different players. Yeah. And their problem their problem is they've just spent money on a scattergun approach and just signed random players without it fitting any sort of plan. The thing that's happened with Ross Bartley at, at Luton is that 
they've gone around, they've said, we've got A, B, C and D, or what we need is E, which is a bit of quality, somebody who can put their foot on the ball in the Premier League and we know can play their way through the thirds in the Premier League and can control yeah. a game. And they've found somebody and they've made him feel loved and he's performing. Yeah. You know, and, and in a bigger team, he could probably do the same. He just wouldn't be as noticeably better than the rest because the rest around him would be technically and tactically better players. But he is pulling the strings because he's a good footballer. He's athletically, he's always been a strong, powerful boy. And he'll score his share of goals. So, I mean, I'm delighted that he's doing well there. I'm delighted for Thomas Kaminsky, the goalkeeper, because I said to you before, we had him at Courtrike. And when I was at Luton, I said, like, sign him because I thought he was a top, top player. Um, he went to Blackburn and now he's gone on and he's having a great time as well. And now they are real honest pros. That's the best thing about them. They're actually getting their moment in the sun. And you know, long may it continue. Yeah. So looking ahead then to the three o'clocks and the first one on the billing was uh, a goal fest. Maybe we weren't expecting it to be quite so tight, but it was Aston Villa against Burnley. Rick, I'll throw it to you first because it was one where... VAR kind of showed its egg ugly head again. That's right. First pod of 2024 and VAR has come up already. There was the um, there was a tight offside call, I think, with Foster. There wasn't a lot in it, but you can kind of understand based on, you know, the lines that we've always seen drawn since VAR has been brought in. There's the two yellows for Sander Berger. And then there was the quote unquote foul for the penalty right at the end. What did you make of the decisions? Did you see them? Yeah, it's just football never ceases to take the opportunity to shoot yourself in the foot, does it? So you've got a game where you've got five goals there and what's, how have you teed it up? Talking about VAR and controversies and whatever. Talk about the goals, 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 David. I know that's what you like. You do like a goal. I mean, you know, you could say that VAR, if it weren't for VAR, there might have been more goals, goals, goals or, you know... Suppose it depends how you weigh it up, really, if you take the penalty out of it. But yeah, I mean, Burnley got to be frustrated at the end of that to score a couple goals away uh, in a Premier League match. You'd expect to get something out of it, but Villa needed it. They wanted it more, and they look like they're a, a team that are genuinely in contention for a for a Champions League place now. These are the games that very often, if you get a team that is in a false position. They'll slip up in these games, but these are the games that you need to win if you're going to be a genuine Champions League contender. And I, to all intents and purposes, it looks like uh, looks like that's what they are. Interesting penalty, though. Did it go in first time, second time, after it bounced, or whatever? Hit the bar, didn't it? And then came that was a double, double bounce, wasn't it? Yeah, double bounce and hit the bar twice. So, interesting. Well, there you go. Three points for Villa. They're, they're right in the mix of it. Just looking at Burnley for a moment, Thorpey, is there is there signs of life appearing at Burnley? They always had that win at, at Fulham, didn't they, to get their away form off them? Oh, no, sorry, they had they beat Luton earlier on in the season, didn't they? But it was their first win for a while. Um, is there signs of life there? Not for me. No, um, not, not, not for me. I mean, you know... You, you I got, tried, got... Burnley fans. I tried. Yeah, at least... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, you're not getting it from me, unfortunately, this year, Burnley fans. Um, you know, you're definitely not going to find your happy place anyway. Like So, you know, listen, I can see his frustration. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, this I can see his frustration with the penalty. I know when you sort of tap the bottom of someone's foot and he goes down like a shot giraffe. I'd rather see the referees have a little bit more guard, a little bit more stature and backbone to be able to say that's not a penalty. Um, then, then, you know, but... Um, 
But to, to me, I just don't think their football's strong enough. Of course, he'll learn. I hope they stick with him. Um, I think he's got to, he's got to learn his trade, and I think he's doing it at a really good football club. And hopefully, they'll give him uh, the ability to stay at that football club and 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 get them up again next year, and then come back stronger, knowing what he knows. But if he's just going to stick to the same old, you know, uh, I want to play football like Guardiola, and uh, and nothing's going to stop me doing it. Then then with a lesser squad which he has got, he's going to get exactly the same results. I think he's got to do a little bit of what Luton have done and learn somehow how to win games. And uh, uh, that's where Full I get stop. The, Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, because because he's he's really learned at Luton, uh, uh, you know, and, and but he's pushing these big clubs so well and it's getting so close to getting the results. And I don't see that at Burnley, unfortunately. So, for me, not really. I think they're definitely, you know, going to be in the Championship next year. And just hopefully he learns a lesson from it. In terms of Villa, Steve, uh, Sky Sports earlier today published the 2023 table and how it would look. And Aston Villa were nicely in second place. I mean, Mm. the calendar year that they've had under Unai Emery... Uh, replacing Steven Gerrard has been nothing short of miraculous, isn't it? Yeah. No, I, I mean it's a fab, it's a fabulous club, isn't it? It's, it is one of the big clubs of England. Um, they haven't really punched their weight for a long time, but they've now got a very very good coach, and again he's got a group of players without signing too many. I think he's probably bought in about four um, himself, um, but he's blended what he's got and he's made the best out of what he's got. And he's a very good tactical coach. Um, so I'm not surprised that they're doing well. I would be surprised if they are ultimately competing for the title or the top couple of places, because I'm not sure their squad's strong enough in depth to compete with the big boys. Um, but if they stick with him and give him a bit of money to invest, um, then, yeah, they're only they're only going in the right direction. Um, the thing that you mentioned earlier about the penalty, they gave a, a, a mandate at the start of the year that there had to be a higher threshold for physical contact before somebody goes to ground on which the referee gives a foul or a penalty. You know, what, have they forgotten about it? Yeah. Have they just decided they want to ignore it? They just want to do what they want? You know, and when you've got Sean Dyche and Guardiola in the same game saying, well, we haven't got any idea what the rules are anymore. The handball rules are a joke. Nobody knows what's going on. When you've got all the managers from both sides in the game coming out and saying, this is something wrong. There's something wrong. So IFAB, FIFA, all the people that were involved in coming up with these stupid concocted rules that get more and more complicated every year. They need to sit down, go back to the drawing board and put in place laws that allow the referee on the field to manage the game. And people from outside only interfere in an absolute emergency because that's what the fans want, I think. Thorpe? Just want to say something very, very simple. Guardiola's been uh, carded four or five times already in the season, that tells you something's wrong. You know, because he'll, he'll back, he'd say, he'd normally just say, I'll say nothing about this, I'll say nothing about it, because, you know, it's such a hard job. He's now been carded four or five times. Rick, Rick will disagree with that. <laughs> well, of course, he, of course he would. Of course he would. You know, but, you know, but but if, you, if you're honest about it, that tells you something's wrong. When these managers are constantly, they haven't got a clue what's going on. So if they don't know at the top of our game, then there's a real issue. And I do do agree with uh, what Steve said. You know, something needs to be done about it. 
I will come to Rick next on the next game because uh, it was Palace 3, Brentford 1. The uh, 0-0 offering, I think you predicted, Rick, ahead of this one, if I got that correct. But um, it was definitely a game, I think, that both teams couldn't afford to lose again, to be fair. Um, but unfortunately for Brentford, it, it was them. I think it, I'm right in saying that it's five defeats in a row for them at the moment. So let's start with them. Not great form at the moment, but they have got injuries and <laughs> maybe not an injury crisis, though, because that only applies to Newcastle, as you well know. But do you think there's any danger of Thomas Frank being in any danger himself or there's too much um, too much goodwill there and, and credit in the bank from what he's done previously to still be OK? You'd think that he's been there long enough, he's established enough that uh, he'd survive any sort of, even if it gets to the point of relegation. I mean, but at the moment, they just look toothless. That's the problem. As soon as somebody comes in and, and takes over that mantle from Tony, who should be, is he due back the end of end of this month? As we, uh, yeah, as so, we, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but then, and when it takes over from him, he gets a long-term injury. Then Whistler looks like he's going to score a few goals. He gets an injury and is out again. To so, be fair, Rick, they've had spells like this Whilst they've been in the Prem, haven't they? They've gone five or six without a win or defeats in a row. And then they get three or four on the spin and then suddenly they're looking up again. What they have got is they've got a way of playing, a way of running the club. And they all got faith in it. And they know that spells like this, like you say, do do come around. And you you would imagine that they will get themselves out of it. But they could be, they could be that one that uh, falls into the competition with Luton. But... Um, Nobody told Elise that he was supposed to not score goals and it was going to be a boring nil-nil draw. So that was a bit unkind of him. He had a storming game. And when Palace get it right and they get the they get their players players firing, they do look a decent a decent unit. But again, it's it's like those teams in that section of the Premier League. It's very hit and miss. You don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna get them from one week one week to the next. I mean, they looked looked outstanding against Brentford, but was that just because because they were playing Brentford, who were who were struggling to create chances themselves. So Roy's not happy at the moment because people are speculating about his job and doesn't think that's fair. And he's he's quite right, quite right. He'll just let them get on with it. They'll do. Both of these teams will be safe at the end of the season. And it was just one of those games on the day. Brentford were toothless, and and Palace Palace uh, hit their straps and got the three goals and the three points. Yeah, Thorby, when you look at the players that Bristol Palace have got, it's quite surprising that they've gone quite a while with um, not many goals in the team because Lise and Eze, when they get it right, they, they look at a couple of tasty players. Yeah, but they've been injured as well, haven't they? Like, they've had injury. So that, that, that tells you... Listen, with, with, a, with a no depth in squad, um, these two clubs, just staying in the Premiership, are doing an amazing job. You know, so don't don't underestimate what Thomas Frank. Like, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? Because I mean, Charlton fans look at them at one point when you know they thought that they wanted to break into the top six, and now yeah. look, like, there's lots yeah. of examples. Yeah, when Kirby was there, like doing an amazing job, and then all of a sudden they get rid of him, and somebody else comes in. Leave these people alone. Let them get on and develop the club. You know, I've said before on podcasts, I thought that Bolton um, gave out a six or seven year contract. Um, you know, to a certain you know England manager that lasted five seconds. You know what? That was that was at the time that they did that. That was a massive bold move and bold statement to say, look, we want somebody to de- develop our football club. 
And Steve will tell you how difficult it, it is. And um, people are short-sighted. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a different conversation, but when Steve was at Panathinaikos, he reduced the budget by absolutely millions, wasn't it? You know, and then they, they, they lose a couple of games and then they get it intact. Leave these people to develop the club, uh, work with the, the, the board of directors, and sooner or later you're going to get success at that football club. But I tell you now, they're, they're both doing brilliant. And they stay, listen, if they stay in the premiership, that's worth how much? 100, 120, 130, 140, 150 million for their football club. So it's no mean feat at staying at this level for a long period of time. Even if you're just doing it each year, I think they're still doing an amazing job. Steve, would you expect these two teams to sort of be pretty much side by side come the end of the season? Um, yeah, I would. I mean, I'm looking. Brentford are on a bad run, aren't they? They've got 19 points, so they're just like, what is it? Four points outside the relegation zone. Um, but they have only played 19, they haven't played 20. I think their squad's probably good enough, to be fair, with what because, as you said, they've got a few out missing at the moment. When they come back, will make a considerable difference. Um, so I think they'll be fine. I think Palace will be fine, because I think Roy Hodgson, as I've said before, is a terrific manager. The, the problem with these players, though, is that people like Eze and Elise, they can be absolutely world-class one minute, and then they disappear for, like, 86 minutes. So, and around them, there aren't enough other players that allow them to have that luxury. So maybe they just need to perform at that level a bit more consistently, and that, that's time in the Premier League and exposure to play at that level. But I, I would think both of them will be safe, ultimately. Um, I, I can't see I can't see Brentford going down. I can't see Palace going down. Other games then: uh, Manchester City with a routine of routine wins against Sheffield United. wasn't five, wasn't six, but Thorpey, it was very much a case of attack versus defence here. No real surprise. No, not really. Um, listen, you can defend a and they, they they tried their, their best to defend it, you know, right throughout the game. But when you've just when you've got so much quality and you, know, you can take off Grealish and put somebody else on uh, who who opens, who's young, you know, vibrant and 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 doing it the Man City way, you know, and he slides the ball in and creates a second goal. Then, you know, it, it, it's it's credit it's credit to the coaching side of that club. Um, I choose those words but wisely. The coaching side of that club to actually keep producing. Um, youngsters who can um, just slide in and fit into an organisation as big as theirs. But, um, yeah, pretty standard routine job as far as I'm concerned. Rick, from a Sheffield United perspective, would, will Chris Wilder be looking at a 2-0 defeat as a bit of a win, if you see what I mean? Yeah. If you take that. They'd take it. If you'd have offered that to him before, I'm no doubt you would have taken that. It's not a battering, is it? And it's nothing that's going to do any long-term damage. Nobody expected them to get anything from the game. They competed and came out of it pretty pretty unscathed, really. So, move on. Win the games that they, they stand a chance of winning, not not games against Abu Dhabi. Yeah, and I think that's the point. Thorpe was making something similar earlier. It was like about Burnley trying to play like Man City. They can't, you can't go out and play open football on a full pitch against Man City and, you know... Liverpool and all that, with Burnley's players. And I think what Chris Wilder will do is he'll go more down the Luton model and he'll say, look, these are the players I've got. This is what can bring me success. This is what I'm going to work with. Yeah. So he'll do that. I'm not sure Vincent Company will. I think he'll try and stick to his principles and, and play the way out. Um, 
But I, th- I think Sheffield United will go a little bit more that way. And they'll just look at it and say, look, we ain't getting any points at Man City. If we do, it's a miracle. We'll go, but actually we'll, we'll, we'll try and beat Forest. We'll try and beat Fulham. We'll try and beat Brentford. You know, we'll try and nick a point off Brighton at home. They're target games. And, you know, and that's what you have to do, particularly if you haven't got a massive squad and what you have got hasn't got that level of politics. So you've got to work, get the workload right. But you have to target games. And some games you have to almost sacrifice. You have to say, listen, Man City away, just go, get the game over and done with. If we nick a result, brilliant. But sometimes you just have to do that as a manager. Yeah. Um, next on the billing was Wolves-Everton, a game which I said last week, which I thought was a shoo-in to be a Desmond. But, Thorpe, I'll come to you first. It was a pretty routine affair, really, for Wolverhampton oh, Wanderers. So I misheard you then. But where are, where are we? Wolves-Everton. Comfortable oh, Wolves. for Wolves and Gary O'Neill's team. Yeah, I'm. I'm just impressed with him. You know, I'm just really impressed with the way he's he's, he's getting his players, and the fans love him as well. Already, he's made that connection with them. And, uh, the front two of Huang and Cunha seems to be really causing teams problems at the moment as well. Yeah, I, listen, Steve, Steve mentioned something earlier on, and I think we've all gone around the same thing. It's about understanding and knowing your players, and he's and he's also gone straight away. He's gone right. Let's have a look at the squad I've got. Where, what are their attributes? What are their negativities? And you know, and, he, and he's, he's he's finding out a lot very very quickly. It shows his intelligence as a footballer, and um, now he's putting that through into management. But this, the, the players have got to buy into that, and uh, I think he's also got around him good people, and I think that that's really showing. That's why Wolves are giving him the job. They saw what a good job he did at Bournemouth. They've given him an opportunity, and he's but he's a realistic. Uh, manager enough to know look listen i don't got all the, the the best players in the world so i need to mold this into a hard working side that's got quality that we can create chances and how are we going to do that and i think he does it very simplistically and i think that 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 has given him the rewards that he's uh he's seeing now is he going to win every game of course he's not but he's going to win a decent percentage and probably a little bit higher than than what people would expect but he's doing it Fantastic job, and um, it's a lovely, it's a great football club. It's a great football club, you know, and um, it's got a great history there behind it at the top level, and uh, he's doing a fantastic job there. But yeah, they've got a, got some good 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 players there, and they're they're doing a decent job. And also Dawson pops up with one every now and again, and that's um, as a centre half union, Steve, I tell you, we all stick together. Fantastic goal. Steve, apologies if I asked you this before, but have you um? come across Gary O'Neill in your um, career to date? I first came across him when he was a 14-year-old schoolboy at Portsmouth. So that'll tell you how long ago that. And he was travelling down from London and he was at Portsmouth uh, in the Centres of Excellence programme. But don't know him Don't know him at all, really. Um, only ever seen him at a distance. But I agree with Paul. He, you know, he, he fell into the job at Bournemouth, obviously, and then did a really good job. And I was amazed when they, they sacked him you know, Areola's obviously had a few results recently and people have been quite impressed, but they're still one place below Wolves in the table with a game in hand, three points behind them. So you can't say there's been an improvement in, in Bournemouth as such um, on what they would have got with Gary O'Neill. And he's gone into Wolves at a time. Got to remember that Wolves lost three of their best players in the summer and everybody tipped them to be fighting relegation. And he's gone in there, he's energised the whole club. He's, like I thought we said, he's settled on a system that clearly worked with Hang harassing people up front. He's got a great work ethic. He's like Son at uh, Tottenham. 
great work ethic, physically strong, um, and that just allows them to play behind him. You know, so um, no, I think he's done, I think he's done a terrific job there. And and again, they're one of those sides that they you know they, they could with a little bit of luck finish in the top half of the table, um, which would be a terrific achievement for this season. I think. Yeah. As for Everton, Rick, I think it's six without a goal now for. Calvert-Lewin, he'll want to get on the score sheet as quickly as possible. They've obviously been on a good run since they had the points deduction, but it just goes to show that they can't you know, sort of rest on their laurels. That 10 points that have been taken off of them, it's still going to cause a little bit of uncertainty between now and the end of the season, because they're only one place above the relegation zone still, aren't they, after these set of results? Yeah, but they'll probably get some of those points back. They're appealing it, so it wouldn't surprise me if they got got a few of those few of those points. But I think Everton would be Everton would be fine. They they don't look like a team that are in a relegation battle at all. They again, it's it's the teams that are greater than the sum of their parts at the moment this season. It seems to be a case of you know the ones that have got a system in place and have faith in that system are reaping the rewards for it. Whereas other clubs that have a <coughs> approach a somewhat less successful but nice to see the uh, South Korean representative doing doing his business and don't forget Wolves have also as well as the players they lost at the start of the season also Pedro Neto's out injured at the moment as well and he was he was in outstanding form before he got I think he came back in this game didn't he he came on at the end I'm not sure did he yeah due to come back around now but I think Again, this is very similar to the the Palace Brentford situation in my eyes. It's two teams that you know they're going to be in that middle block. They'll be secure enough, and but they're not going to challenge for for European places. There, at this moment in time, solid Premier League clubs, and that's where they'll where they will stay and where they will do their business. Can we move on to uh, Sunday, please? Do you know what? I was just going to throw the next one to start with to Steve, but by quoting Rick Hyatt. Who, uh, who said last week that Manchester United have turned so many corners that they're actually going Wait, around in one. circles. Hey. So, um, Steve, are Manchester United going around in circles? Um, they are going nowhere fast. That's the answer, I think. Um, I, don't, what, I mean, what else can you say? They're just a complete enigma, aren't they? What about the and game th- itself against Forrest? With Forrest deserving of the three points here? Um, yeah, li- listen, in, in most games, for whatever reason it is, whether it's because you're better in the penalty boxes than the other team or you're better with the amount of possession you have than the other team, you do more with it, you tend to win games you deserve to win. There's very few games I can think of that I've played in, I don't know about you, Thorpey, maybe a, a dozen in my whole career where I come off and said, we really deserve to win that, but we lost, or vice versa. Yeah. Most of the games, you can make an argument for the result being what it, you know, what it was. Um and you know, and they, like the first goal, I mean, they just pass away through them. It was like embarrassing. It's bum 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 goal. And you're looking at it, you're thinking, well, has anybody done any work on defending and pressing and covering and getting the distances right? United can it was just that same identical goal so many times. It's, it's embarrassing. I mean, you literally, you could just drive a bus through them, and and yeah. you think it's, it's yeah. like they either they don't know where they're supposed to be, or they don't work hard enough to get there. Um, and they they aren't that good going forward that they can give teams two goals and expect to win. So they are going nowhere fast at the moment. And he's a very, very lucky man that people are showing so much faith in him, to be honest. Because if he was an English coach, he would have been sacked by now. Yeah, I agree. I have no doubt about it. If he was English, he would have gone. 
the fact he's come from Ajax and he's Dutch, and, he, and I don't know him, he could be the loveliest man in the world. I have no idea about him as a person. If that was an English coach who'd been given the job and he'd turned around what they've turned around so far this season, he would be gone. Unless they Rick, can't afford to sack him. Rick, I'll throw it back to you because as a fan, I know that you sort of didn't really want to predict this one um, on Wednesday, but I guess come the end of the game, you must have been thinking a part of you was sort of maybe half expecting that what happened was going to happen. Very much so. I couldn't see, especially with, with Hoyland being ill before the game, it looked fairly, you know, it looked fairly toothless. And, and yeah, it's what, what's expected a bit. But then again, what what is fascinating about this whole situation is it's, it's like Steve picks up on the fact that he thinks that if Ten Hag was English, he would have been sacked or whatever. The table that you referred to at the start of the season about the year's results. The calendar year. I think year, United yeah. are fourth or fifth. Calendar year, they're fourth or fifth. He's picked up two league points less than Arteta in this calendar year. And yet there's no crisis there. There are other clubs that are... It's because it's Manchester United, because it's that club, it's news. So I think he's another reason he's going to have a chance is the fact that United have been in this cycle of give the manager the job for 18 months and then sack him and then rinse and repeat and do whatever. I think they might finally find themselves in a position where they say, here's a bloke we're actually going to going to stick with. And But then again, it's it's what's, what's the alternative? Get an interim manager in until the end of the season and then start the whole process over again. I think the other thing, though, Rick, is it's not just that, is it? They've lost more games now than they've lost in the season yeah. but, since 1930 or something. They've yeah. been bundled out of the Champions League, finishing bottom of a group it's that a included of, Galatasaray of games, and FC Copenhagen. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect, their reserves would have beaten FC Copenhagen five years ago, ten years ago. Yeah. Now they now they concede four in Copenhagen, get beat four three, three at home against Galatasaray. Was it three away against Galatasaray? It's a shambles, and I, I, I don't know him as a person. Yeah, and there may be issues internally that he's not in control of and can't deal with. But now outside looking in, you're thinking, well, what are they, what are they doing? Where are they going? What what are they trying to do? And but how is he trying to improve them? The thing that's confused me is the fact that you appoint a manager because he's he's got a system, he's got a style of play, and then he comes to the club, and that's the first thing. Once they lost those first two games last season, that whole policy he's, he's lurched from change of style every single match virtually after that to yeah. to mix and match with who they're playing and who's available, rather than having a system and sticking to that. He does make bizarre, some bizarre yeah. decisions and. It is very but, much cyclical, I think. But it was like we were saying about company. When he's at Ajax, who are the historically are the best team in Holland, and he has probably, you know, eleven of the best thirty players. So PSV will have a few, Feyenoord will have a few, Ajax will have the majority of the best players until this season. Obviously, it's been a bit different this season, but historically, that's the way it's been. You can play a system that you want consistently. And you get the momentum, so they can, they transfer that into Europe then, and normally they don't do very well in the Champions League, so they don't massively overachieve. They drop into the Europa League and they get to a final or a semi-final or something. So so they're punching their way. But he can do what he wants because he's got the best players in Holland playing against the not best players in Holland. So play any system you like. But if you're a great coach, come to Manchester United with lesser players than they would normally expect to have and find a way to help Manchester United win football matches on a consistent basis. And that don't include getting beaten in the Champions League and finishing bottom of a group so you don't even stay in Europe after Christmas. I mean, that's just unbelievable for Manchester United. 
with the Champions League thing, what's all the more frustrating about that is every one of the away games, they scored three goals and picked up one point. That's <laughs> Yeah. Well, you just you just said Burnley couldn't expect to get a point away from home scoring two, and they've scored three and still can't get a point. Yeah. So you just go you go look at it and say, well, hang on. Are, are you just is he neglecting or are they neglecting a certain part? I of just it? want to come in from a from a Forest perspective as well because Thorpe, we know that um, Steve Cooper was a legend at Forest, and they were on a bad run of form. I think there's no getting away from it. But sometimes when you take the romance out of it, sometimes a change is what's required. And he's gone in there, Nuno, because this is no disrespect to Nuno either, because, you know, he is a good coach in his own right. We've seen that with what he's done at Wolves. And they've got two big wins from their opening three. And you can't really argue with that return so far, albeit early days. No, he just came under the acts of the old uh, Olympiakos, uh, you know, uh, cutthroat cut uh, owner, uh, you know, drug dealer, whatever you want to call him. I shouldn't really say that, but, you know, it's it, but it, 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 he's just a bit ruthless there, isn't he? Like, so, um, but I thought he was doing a really, really good job. You go, he was in 15th place. You know, he's got 20 points. I still think he'd have survived. Um, but they say, look, they saw the chance of getting Nunes in and, um, or Spiro Santos, sorry. And, um, you know, and, and, and he's, he's actually started off fairly well, like, you know, so you can only see how he's going to, develop the club but um yeah I think that's Dean I, I I've no doubt that he's going to come back into um into a, a decent job there's talk of him actually going into the Crystal Palace job um but as we said before you know what you just leave that alone for the time being um but yeah I, I, I think I think they're a decent enough club and I think they'll st- they'll stay there and I think he'll develop them they've got some exciting players very good attacking you know, the, the, the only other thing I'd say in, in, in their, um, in, in what they probably need is some more defensive style players that are just out and out raw defenders that work hard. And um, and I think that that would be a real attribute to, to a Nottingham Forest side that can play good attacking football. Just a couple of games left to get through because the uh, the last offering is Liverpool Newcastle who haven't kicked off yet at the time of recording. So, so, so. Dave, j- just before you do that, mm. the re- the research into managerial changes, yeah, which was by Bridgewater in two thousand and nine, tends to show that there is a very short term bounce effect generally, but over the medium to long term, there is no change or beneficial effect to changing a manager on a team's results. So what you've got is what you've got, yeah. So actually, just changing the manager doesn't guarantee you anything. In fact, in the long run, quite often it turns out to be detrimental. I guess that's the thing, Steve, isn't it? Like you've said, I don't know what you've got is what you've got. But I guess from Forest's perspective, it's a little bit different because they've done it just before the January transfer window. And looking at their track record, he'll probably bring his own players in now. You would imagine, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, or somebody's players. I don't know if well, yeah, quite. players. So then, Sunday's offering. Rick, I'll start with you because we we sort of said tongue in cheek about the fact that um, Fulham have stopped scoring goals since um, Jimenez, who got into his suddenly got into form, picked up that suspension. We said he was back for the Arsenal game, and bang! Would you believe it? They've gone on one two one. What did you make of this one? He was unplayable, and it's a fully a fully deserved win for Fulham. As it turns out, Ars- Arsenal were uh, were lost. I thought. Just looked looked lost, looked fairly clueless. Fulham 
could have won that game by by more goals, as it turns out. And uh, I was just very, very happy. That's it. <laughs> I have to say about that. It and Arteta, Arteta didn't really have anything to complain about either, did he? Certainly there was nothing from what I've seen which, quote-unquote, controversy. No, I don't think so. I think the better team won at the end of the day, and that doesn't make a good copy for anyone, does it? But that's exactly what happened. Thorpe, where do you think this leaves Arsenal now? Two on the two defeats on the spin, which they definitely wouldn't have been anticipating, being West Ham at home and Fulham away. They're sure all their fans and most of us alike would have thought that would have been two bankers, but no points from that two could just change things slightly. Is it starting to derail at all? Well, something's not not quite gelling. I mean, they, they, listen, they've got a fantastic um, squad. Um, Look through their team, you know, defensively, they're, they're solid. Um, but, you know, Odegaard, Royce, Havertz in midfield. Havertz has been coming up with a few goals. You know, he, his work rate's good. It just me to me, this, they were scoring goals. They're now having a little bit of, and I can't really put my finger on it. I just think their work rate, possibly, you know, is, is not up to, to scratch. And, um, that you know, you go through the ups and ebbs and flows of a season... And I just think they're, they're just, just just dipping a little bit below their normal playing style. And uh, you probably see that in this. If I look to the stats over the last, you know, start of the season and now, if we really got into it and had time, you could probably see that their probably stats have, have, have dwindled a little bit because um, they've got some ph- phenomenal players and they, they should be, be, be winning these games. But I watched this game and I have to say they were just completely outworked. Completely outworked, and um, when when the Fulham lads had the chance, you know they they were clinical, and um, that's something that has been lacking in their play. But they, they, maybe that's helping them turn a little corner. But um, you know, Arsenal just got to get back to the work rate, I think. And um, you know, because Saka's gone off the boil a little bit, Odegaard's gone off the boil a little bit, even Declan Royce, you know, gone off the boil a little bit. You know, Havertz, I think's good. You know, and Ketty's come in. Gives gonna need a couple of games to get going, but he's got he's got you know personally I think um, you know he's got goals in him. Martinelli needs to score score more and get back to the form that he was showing. So there's lots of little people. And I see will tell you these stats that he likes to keep um, a lot of his team above the 75 percent mark. And these these lads are dropping I think below that 75 percent um, mark that they need to be at for most games. Steve, from a Fulham perspective, is Marco Silva? Is the job that he's done since he's gone in there sort of gone under the radar a little bit, if that's the right term? Do you think his achievements, for want of a better word, have not necessarily been universally universally been recognised? Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. I mean, he's, he's you know he's had quite a lot of clubs. Any of that spell at Everton as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fulham again are one of those clubs. I'm just looking at the table here, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to identify sides who aren't really Premier League football clubs in terms of infrastructure facility you know when you look at the sides outside the Premier League at the moment I was watching Derby on the telly earlier for example but you look at a side like a Brentford or a Fulham the stadiums aren't massive they don't get you know great fan base they don't get a lot of exposure so to have them 13th in the table at the moment like they are um, (laughs) has done well but like you said Jimenez has been a big part of that because it took him a long while to get scoring goals and then when he did start scoring goals they suddenly they were on fire Um, and it can be something as small as that, just one player suddenly gelling and, you know, it just clicks. But he, he's done a great job there, to be fair, in, in terms of where they are. 
they would, I would think, you know, they would fancy themselves to be comfortable this year and not get involved in a relegation dogfight. So, yeah, I think he can be well proud of the job he's done there, to be honest. Um, and and they just, yeah, they look they look solid. I mean, I'm just looking at their results. They beat West Ham not long ago. They beat them 5-0, didn't they? Mm. You know? um, I think it's West Ham's only defeat in their last six league games was to get beat 5-0 at Fulham. In that time, they've beaten Man United, they've beaten Arsenal away. So West Ham are no mugs, you know, and, and on the night, Fulham put, tore them apart. So, again, they're one of those sides that if they get it right, they, they can hurt anybody. One final game then before we wrap up for the evening. Rick, I'll throw it to you. Tottenham 3, Bournemouth 1. Goals, 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 goals here, which I think we're all expecting. But um, most of them um, went to the home side. Big win there for Spurs. Tottenham top Spurs. Yeah, scoring goals for fun. We, I thought Bournemouth would have put up a little bit more of a, a fight than they did, given their recent recent form and they've looked quite uh, quite impressive. It's a shame that uh, Freddie McTombley isn't here because uh, he'd be banging the drum for Riola to get the sack again now after one defeat in a row. He <laughs> deserves to lose his job. But fair play to, to, to Big Ange, you know, getting a tune up, I suppose. It'd be interesting to see how they move forward in the next few weeks with, with Son, the other uh, Korean representative. Being uh, being missing, being being in the Asian Cup, so that'll be that'll be interesting. Madison should be due back fairly soon, so they they're another team that have uh, had injuries. Although nobody, we we all know that there's only one team in the Premier League that have had any injuries. Everybody else has got full squads. So not just fair fair play to Big Ant, and it's it's a good way of playing. It's an attractive way of playing. And he's got Richarlison scoring goals as well, which is yeah. which, um, a hell of a difference to them, particularly like as I say, moving forward without without songs. So no, it all looks all, it all looks rosy for, for Spurs, which is quite depressing. I just wanted to come in on that about Richarlison. Sorry, Steve, because if they can get a tune out of him, yeah. there is a player in there if he can be a bit more consistent, which I guess is the ask of anybody. Yeah. No one's managed it so far, and it looks like he he might he might be turning a corner. <laughs> Another one. Oh, I just, all, I, all I was going to say, Dave, was that the interesting thing is three points separate the top five sides in the Premier League at yeah. nearly the halfway stage. So, as, as a neutral, people have got to be happy with that because there's nothing worse than a parade, is there, from Christmas onwards when you know who's going to win it and that. This gives it some real, you know, there's a, some real games going to come up in the second half of the season that will be six pointers. People use it as a you know, throwaway, but there will be some really, really big games in the second half of the season because all five of the sides have fancy their chances. Thorpey, final point on that one, even though Bournemouth uh, was a defeat for them, but uh, you still expect them to be OK between now and the end of the season? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, for a small club, they're, they're doing, a, doing a great job, aren't they? I mean, he came in and he couldn't win a game. You think, well, why, why have they done it? Because... You know, um, they had a manager already uh, cemented in there, and it was real surprise. But when you look at where he is now, then then you can't really grumble at, at the way that he's um, got his players to buy into it now. Also, got a fantastic striker. I mean, I know he's an ex-Liverpool lad, but you know, it's lovely to see him plying his trade, working hard, and getting the success that he's actually getting at the moment. Because you know, he's he's come a long way. He came away from Liverpool. It took him a while to sort of get going. But now we sort of benefit, you know, getting the rewards for it, like, and um, I can't compliment him enough. He's he's, he's working hard, and he's, he's 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 decent, 
now a very decent Premiership striker. I keep I keep joking with Rick. I say joking oh. that Manchester United oh. are going to come in with a seventy-five million yeah. pound bid in January. You mark my words. No, it'll, my be, words. <laughs> it'll be Chelsea because that's what Chelsea do, <laughs> isn't it? He yeah. starts at Chelsea, then they'll come by him for seventy-five million. They realise he's not good enough for them, so they'll put him back on loan him out somewhere else. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I think that brings us just about to the end of this week's episode for the Monday recording. So, Paul Thorpe, my thanks to you. Happy New Year, mate. Uh, same to you, and let's get on to the darts. Rick Hyatt, thank you very much as always, sir. Always a pleasure. Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, let's hope we turn a corner. <laughs> Steve Rutter, thanks very much for joining us. Happy New Year to you as well, sir. Yeah, you too, mate. Thanks a lot. And Happy New Year to you listeners as well, as you have been listening to Football Bloody Hell. Two faces. I feel the smoke climbing down my cheek. I hear the jokes.